1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast.
0: This is Play Me, your digital theatre. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen.
2: And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me, an hour interview with Mark Crawford, the playwright and one half of the acting duo behind the hit show, Bed and Breakfast.
0: Just when we could really, really use a laugh and something to help us feel a little lighter, Mark Crawford comes along with his captivating comedy about Brett and Drew, a gay couple caught up in Toronto's bidding wars. When a surprise inheritance pops up, They decide to ditch the city to open a chic B&B in small-town Ontario. Naturally, things don't go exactly as planned. Chris, I don't know about you, but lately I've had my days where I've dreamt of getting out of the city to experience the simpler life in a quaint little town. And Mark's play really speaks to that fantasy, while adding the nuance of being other in a place where not everyone welcomes you.
2: Mm, Absolutely, Laura. You know, Mark talked about how he grew up in a small community, and now he and his partner, Paul Dunn, who performed in the play with him, took that leap and moved to the more serene town of Stratford, Ontario. While the play isn't based on his life, Mark did talk about how growing up in a rural community informs his work, why he's drawn to comedy, and why it is so important for him to have his protagonists share a kiss on stage.
0: Mark Crawford is an actor and a playwright. His plays include Stag and Doe, The Birds and the Bees, Boys, Girls, and Other Mythological Creatures, The New Canadian Curling Club, and Bed and Breakfast. His work has been produced in theaters across the country. And in 2020, he was long listed for the prestigious Stephen Leacock Medal for Humor.
2: This is my interview with Mark Crawford. <laughs> Uh, So, Mark, just before we begin, I'd like to say I, of course, did my research before this interview because I'm no hack. I'm no hack. Uh And I came across a page, and I don't know if you have found this yourself, but it's called Wikis Pro. And the best that I can figure out is it goes across the Internet and just scrapes information on people uh, and celebrities. And this is what they have for you. Oh, oh okay. They say that you are 5'7". Uh, you have two children. Oh. And I wish I made this up, but I haven't. Your sibling is Jason Priestley. Uh, yeah. And then it goes on to say, Mark Crawford, playwright, entered the career as actress, model, producer in his early life after completing his formal education. That's right. And then here's the best bit. Okay, this is your net worth. Uh, It says, Mark Crawford, who brought in three to five million networks,
1: (laughs) which I think is amazing. That is, um, that is amazing. I had no idea. And I need to call, I need to make a lot of calls. I need to call my agent. I need to call (laughs) the bank. I need to call the CRA.
2: Um, (laughs) Yes, you are in so much trouble. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I have. Wow. um,
2: Yeah, yeah, well, I'm I'm sure it's all verified and cross-referenced.
1: That's great. Thanks for doing your research, Chris. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, well, I, I, I feel ready for the interview now. And I have to say that this is also a bit of a reunion for us as a little bit of background. When Laura and I first started out in theatre right after graduating... We toured shows to high schools and elementary schools, and Mark was one of our actors. We brought him to all of the best school gymnasiums and cafetoriums across Canada at god-awful hours in the morning. And he would be up there, and he would be acting his heart out while uh, young school children were trying to burn his eyes out with laser pointers. And it was was crazy times. It was truly nutso times, but it was also some of the best years of my life.
1: Thanks, Chris. Me too. I, uh, yeah, that's, um, you know, like doing work for young audiences, which I, I've done a lot of, it is like the best uh, acting boot camp, you know? It is the best. Yes. It's also the best thing to do, I think, right out of theater school where you're kind of like really, you're maybe a bit precious and a bit like in your own head and you, you know, you have like a lot of ideas about what great acting is. And then it's like, it's 7.30 in the morning and you're building the set <laughs> in a middle school gym and you're just like, oh no, like I have to do the show in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All of that stuff like <laughs> yes. disappears and you just have to do the work. It's, a, it's actually an amazing um, thing. I'm so grateful for it. And I love, and I do actually, I really love working for, performing for young audiences still to this day
2: yeah it it is there's something magic and something really honest about it too if you bore them Mm -hmm. for even a second they will either leave or attack you yeah absolutely mark for anyone who hasn't yet listened to bed and breakfast on play me can you give us just a short summary of what the play is all about
1: oh sure um so it is a play performed by two actors Um, who play a whole bunch of characters. And it's uh, the central story is about this couple, Brett and Drew, who live in a tiny little condo in Toronto. And Brett's aunt dies at the beginning of the play and leaves him the historic family home in a small sort of touristy town about three hours away from the city. And these guys decide to uproot their lives and move to this town, renovate this house, and open a bed and breakfast. But, of course, they get more than they bargain for, and um, hilarity ensues. Uh, it's, a, it's a comedy, but, you know, it's also a drama. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially, thematically, it's about um, community and finding a place to call home and um, sort of the skeletons that refuse to stay in the closet.
2: Why did you choose to have two actors play multiple roles to tell the story?
1: I love actors playing multiple characters, and I think that's really fun for an audience to see people sort of use their full range of their voice and their body to play characters who they wouldn't normally, in a completely realistic play, they wouldn't play. So that's really fun, and that that form is just really fun, and it sort of breaks open the amount of people that you can have on stage and the amount of characters and the, the scale of your stories. Yeah. So I think there are 22 characters in bed and breakfast and wow. there are very few Canadian plays with 22 actors in them. Yes. Um, especially 22 actors, you know, especially <laughs> plays that get produced more than once. Yeah. So um, part of it too was, a was going, was wanting to write a play that was very producible. Yeah. Um from just a totally pragmatic point of view to write like a two-hander that happened on essentially a bare stage but to to embrace that and to be able to create real theater magic with that form
2: all right yeah i'm sure you get asked this a lot but so you and Paul are partners, and in the show, you two play partners. The two of you moved from Toronto to Stratford, and Brett and Drew moved from Toronto to a small town. Where does reality and fiction converge or diverge?
1: Yeah, um, that is a great question. Is this, is this my your life? life? The, the answer is no. Um, so uh, we do get asked that a lot. And I think that like there are people who've seen the play who still to this day are like, <laughs> probably are like, oh, we should go and stay in those guys' bed and breakfast. And, <laughs> and that's great. I mean, that's sort of the play does exist. It takes place in the world in which we live, right, that we refer to. Mm-hmm. But it, it, yeah. Brett and Drew are not me and Paul. We are not them. Um, I wrote the play when we still lived in Toronto, and I actually wasn't even in the first production of the play. And then when we started to remount the play, Andrew was like unavailable and had other work lined up. So when we started to take the play to other theatres, it was kind of like, well... Mark's available and sort of knows the lines or is more familiar than other places. And because it's a remount, we don't have a full rehearsal period. And, uh, you know, that theater could only pay for one accommodation and not two. So this is perfect. Um, and it's, it's been, it's been really great and it's been sort of for me and Paul for a few years in there, it was like, it was the family business. Yeah. Because I wrote it before we lived in Or Before we moved to Stratford, it was also sort of, I think, a way for me to exercise, uh, like, uh, what would that be like? What would would it be like to leave? What would it be like to uh, not live in a tiny little space? What would it be like to live in a community with my partner? Um, And what are the things that could go brilliantly and what are the things that could go south? Sure.
2: Sure. So the play came first, and then your move to Stratford came after.
1: Yeah, the move, the move, uh, the real life uh, change happened after the play.
2: Was there anything that you found different from moving to a small town that you didn't know about when you wrote the play? Is there anything that you would want to change if you rewrote it today?
1: Well, you know, like, we live in Stratford. um, So the community in the play is not is not Stratford. It's probably quite a bit smaller than Stratford mm-hmm. and um, doesn't have, like, a giant theater festival. Um, so Stratford is, like, one of the gayest small towns going. Um, so it's not completely the, the <laughs> same. There are things, though, that we discovered upon moving here that that aren't in the play, just things that you wouldn't, like, really think of. I know one of the things that um, that we when we first moved when and still to this day like just yesterday I went to the dentist and you know like I think in Toronto you're always you always give yourself 40 minutes and here the dentist is like three minutes away so it, it's that it's that thing of like oh I guess I don't need to give myself 40 minutes because I'll be waiting for 37 minutes <laughs> it
2: sounds like a different planet
1: Wow, there's no line at the service Ontario. I just like got our <laughs> got our the stickers for our license plate, and I got home and that whole thing took me twelve minutes,
2: so nothing different than if you wrote it today.
1: This play premiered in twenty fifteen and so the world keeps changing and keeps evolving and so it's probably not the same play that like if I were to write this play today in twenty twenty one it would be different, maybe not completely mm-hmm. like the story would yeah. maybe be the same but there would be things that i would include or things that i would think about or things that we're talking about now that we weren't necessarily even six years ago we weren't talking about as much so um yeah yeah i don't know
2: no lineup at service ontario you sold me
1: yeah that's right um i maybe i shouldn't t- tell people that um uh, <laughs> yeah that's where i'm getting my
2: license for news. <laughs> a
1: secret yeah it's worth a drive. <laughs> it's worth a drive. Just right.
2: <laughs> you know, when I think of the new Canadian Curling Club, which is about new Canadians getting together to form a curling club, and I also think about your other play, Boys, Girls, and Other Mythological Creatures, and, of course, Bed and Breakfast, it seems like a common theme is people trying to fit in, and I'm just wondering if you'd agree with that, and if you do, why do you tend to gravitate towards this theme
1: i i grew up as um no but i grew up as like a, a queer kid in a on a farm in like southwestern ontario and um and yeah i think i there's part of me that has always like existed in um multiple places at the same time, right. Has been this sort of like Mm -hmm. farm kid in this community, in this family, uh, and has also felt like I needed to leave and felt like I needed like this. Uh, I couldn't have the life that I wanted here. It's funny that I have like now moved back to a smaller community. Um, and I'm back in Southwestern Ontario. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I think that's why. And I think it's also the audience that I'm writing for. I'm interested in um, writing specifically in the case of the new Canadian curling club and bed and breakfast, those plays like uh, they've happened in lots of urban centers, but I wrote them specifically for uh Theaters in smaller, uh, smaller communities in more rural communities. So I really had those audiences in mind, and about having a conversation with those audiences through the plays about how do we welcome people? How do we? How do we do this? How do we do it? Really is the question. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird to talk about your own plays.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you talk about growing up. <laughs> queer in a small Ontario town and then wanting to leave and yet you wrote a play and a big hit is about a queer couple that ends up moving back to a small town
1: yeah and I had worked you know like a lot of a lot of um the initial impulse of bed and breakfast came from having worked in um Blythe and Gananoque Mm -hmm. and Prince Edward County and Bob Cajun and, you know, lots of, um, smaller communities, especially doing summer theater where, uh, I was still living in Toronto and I would go and do these shows in these places. And part of it was about, um, feeling like those theaters were ready for a play like this. And also just witnessing, um, a lot of stuff in the news that, It was like, I remember seeing this picture. I think I was doing a show in Prince Edward County and I, you know, we got the local newspaper at the place where I was staying and there was a picture on the front cover, I believe that uh, was um, a little girl in like a rainbow um, t-shirt or something, handing a glass of water to a guy on a bike and he was on his like bike um as part of the friends for life rally which is this bike rally between Toronto and Montreal that raises money for people living with hiv and aids and um and i guess they were going through belleville or something anyway this little girl was in her little rainbow t-shirt was handing a glass of water to a guy on his bike with a big rainbow boa on right his bike helmet yeah his, like spandex and this rainbow boa and It was so adorable and so sweet, but also was this little snapshot of um, of where we were in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, oh, when I was growing up, that picture would not have been on the cover of a small town newspaper. Mm. And um, and this is great and and this is great that this is included in this newspaper but i bet there's lots of people who don't like it and you know and are finding themselves struggling with this image so yeah there were there were a bunch of those things there were a bunch of towns that were trying to have their first pride festivals and were running into a lot of red tape um there were people and this continues actually i was just talking to a friend the other day who lives in a rural community who they were talking about um, uh, wanting to put the rainbow flag up for Pride Month where they live and all the other municipalities around them had approved it and their municipality was like digging their heels in. Their really? council was saying, uh, sorry, we don't we don't put any flags up except official government flags, Canada flag, Ontario flag, and the municipal pl- flag. And that's it. And that's on the books. Wow. And you go like, well, that's, I mean, that's on the books everywhere. So just like change the books, man, Um, uh, you know, every, every other town around you has managed to do it. Um, So yeah, there were lots of those things, lots of examples of people starting businesses and having queer people starting businesses, having great success, having, um, uh, you know, building a whole life for themselves. And this has been going on forever, but it was really sort of starting to be part of the, uh, the bigger popular conversation Um, and also, you know, also there were things where people were going and moving and starting businesses and then they were having major challenges and nobody was coming to their business or they, uh, they lived in this place for a while and didn't feel welcome or something like that. So, um, I thought there was lots of fodder for a play there.
2: Yeah, I I was wondering, uh, here we are, we're in week two of Pride Month. Happy Pride, by the way. Happy Pride! Uh, Yes, and your work has been produced in large theaters and city centers like Soul Pepper, but also it's some of the most produced plays uh, outside of urban centers as well. And I'm just wondering if you've ever um, had any resistance or if there's ever been any kind of pushback because of the content um for those plays. Uh
1: definitely there has been some pushback and there's been some pushback in um like all over the place. It's really interesting. It's not only um it's not exclusively it's not exclusive to rural communities, mm-hmm. although yeah. I think like um I did an interview at another theater um uh where the woman Uh, started by saying, yeah, the people, I saw the show last night and the people next to me left at intermission. And I said, oh, that's too bad. Uh, Oh, Uh, you know, did they, (laughs) were they not feeling well? Did they think they (laughs) left their oven on? Um, And she said, no, they just really felt uncomfortable with the content. Uh, She said, well, they're, you know, I actually know them from our community. They go to my church. They're really good people. Um, but yeah, they just, they, um, couldn't, uh, they didn't want to stay for the content to which I kind of go like, are they really good people? Um, you know, I think that that's, that's a question to ask yourself and them, but, uh, yeah, that sort of stuff has happened a lot and, uh, lots of emails, weird reactions, sometimes we would get audiences that just collectively, like that particular group of people were really tense around uh, some of the uh, more intimate and sexual stuff in the show. Like really like we were like, whoa, last night this got a big laugh. And tonight like this group of people (laughs) has decided that they are not laughing at this. Um, And that would happen, you know, not only in... Uh, Blythe or Gananoque, but it would happen in like Vancouver some nights yeah, um, or Montreal. And, um, and conversely, there were also places like we toured this show in, um, at the arts club, theater company in Vancouver. We did the BC tour. And so we went into some uh, smaller communities there where it was like, you know, it was like a rock concert on uh like some of the the sexual stuff was like hold for the laugh hold for the laugh hold for the laugh so um that was it's so funny audiences are funny funny beasts and um yeah and and i think some folks everybody comes to the theater with their own set of expectations about what they're going to see that night and if you um if you subvert that, they're either delighted or they're mad and they leave an intermission and they send an email and they want their money back. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that the play does that, honestly, um, that it's not just this purely surface light comedy about yeah. these guys and and that people who do, who still have a, a, a certain amount of homophobia in them... Um, that they do do struggle with it. I think that that's good. Um, I wish that they'd stay (laughs) to the end.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) You know? Uh, I'm talking to Mark Crawford. He's the playwright of Bed and Breakfast.
1: We'll be right back
2: after this. Welcome back. I'm having a conversation with Mark Crawford. He's the playwright of Bed and Breakfast. He's one of the most produced playwrights in Canada, and he was shortlisted for the Stephen Lee Comedy Award. Mark, one of the things that I really love about your work is that it's funny and very accessible, but also it's incredibly subversive. And... You set up the situation where it's kind of fun and lovable and the characters are lovable, but you're really dealing with some majorly difficult issues at times. And that's what I love about the subversive element there. You're, you're creating social change without people really even realizing it. And I'm wondering how comedy plays a role in that. And why do you choose to focus mostly on comedy and your writing?
1: Yeah. I mean I love comedy just because I love I love comedy I love to make people laugh and I love to laugh and um I think it's a great it's a great form it's a great dramatic form to work in you know I I often think about the the like the structure of comedy of Shakespeare comedies or something that they begin and bed and breakfast is like a great example that it begins with a death and ends with sex basically mm-hmm. right and that is like That is the Tempest. That is, um, you know, Twelfth Night. That is Midsummer Night's Dream. Like these plays that begin with the world in chaos and tragedy and end in, you know, in the case of Shakespeare, marriage, Mm -hmm. and and that the world continues. Right. That that is essentially um, that things get set um, set right, and that the the world carries on. And that for me. Um, to be able to give that to an audience, it, it, I, I love being able to do that, to go like, actually, we can continue, you can get up tomorrow, we can be better, we can, we can do this, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, that goes really deep for me. That's not just a sort of like, oh, a couple, couple good jokes here and there. And, um, that is something that I truly believe that we need. And, yeah, in terms of, like, uh, using comedy to talk about um, deeper issues, it gets people into the building in the first place that they think, oh, this is, like, a comedy about these two guys who move to a town and open a bed and breakfast, and it it is. Or in the case of the New Canadian Curling Club, it's this, like, comedy about this group of new Canadians who form a curling team, and it is. Um, but it's also uh, – so it doesn't scare people away, and it doesn't um, – Make them go. Oh, you know that sounds depressing. I don't want to go. And I think if you get people laughing, that they feel like, oh, we're in this together as a group, and we can go there and we can have this conversation together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I think the word accessibility sometimes gets a bad rap. You know, like yeah. it, sometimes people go, oh, it's very accessible. But um, I I really love making theater for people who don't go to the theater six times a week or even you know once a month yeah uh, uh, th- the term popular theater for me is less about oh it's it's popular because that show gets done a lot and it sells a decent amount of tickets but it's about the the populace it's about mm-hmm. actually representing um the the people who are maybe in that audience or in that community on the stage and having them see themselves and their world for comedy, you you know if that's working or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, you have that immediate feedback there. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You hinted that there was a bit of a stigma around populist theatre and popular theatre, and I'm wondering if that also extends to comedy.
1: Yeah, I don't know, because I know that audiences like love, love to laugh, and um, so I don't know where that comes from. And I don't know how you... How you change it, except to write um write comedies that I guess the way that, the the way that I try to do it that has worked to a certain degree is to write comedies that also are about something that have mm-hmm. um that have some meat on the bones and have something to chew on. Yeah. I hope that that's you know that that's what I'm doing, and that that is why um uh some people respond to my work,
2: yeah, I think that's why your shows work so well is because there are these multiple layers and that you're really pushing for social change while also getting people into the theater and that you ultimately need to get people into the theater who wouldn't necessarily um, have already been part of the converted, I think.
1: Yeah. There's this great, um, thank you. Thanks, Chris. There's, I, I just remembered this um, uh, anecdote of when we were doing the first production in um and i was not in the show um but we we were most of the way you know it was a a good way into the run of the play maybe 3 weeks into the run of the play and um i was going to see the other show in like in the springer theater which is like mm-hmm. the sort of main stage at the thousand Islands playhouse and um so i was like down the hill by the water on the dock um waiting to go see i think it was tuesdays with morrie yeah. and um which is, you know, great play, beautiful Mm -hmm. production, but there were audience members that I overheard and they, it was two sort of couples, like probably retired couples in their seventies or something. And, um, one of them asked, Oh, have you seen bed and breakfast? We just saw bed and breakfast last week. Have you seen bed and breakfast? And the other people said, no, no, we haven't seen it yet, but I think we have tickets for next week, you know? And so I immediately start (laughs) eavesdropping on these people and, um, and the, and and they said what did you think and the uh the couple who had seen it uh they said oh we loved it we loved it yeah absolutely we loved it it was so great and i thought oh great fantastic and then the husband turned to the other husband and said i mean if you don't if you don't mind seeing a play about a couple of gay guys really and then the husband who hadn't seen it yeah. uh, uh, said oh we don't And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. This is (laughs) fascinating content of like these people who said that they loved it. And then that the husband has to sort of like feels like he has to go back and go, I mean, I mean, no homo. Right. And then the (laughs) other guy, the other guy has to go like, oh, no, I didn't assume like. Okay, yeah, no, it's fine. We know what it's about. It was a really, really interesting little snapshot into where that audience yeah. was at the at the time and um uh yeah, I forgot what we were even talking about.
2: Bed and Breakfast, the play you wrote. <coughs> I wanted to ask you about the very end of the play, the very last act, the very last piece that happens is a kiss. And when you think about a lot of comedies, particularly light comedies, they always end with the two main characters kissing. But because these are two men, it becomes a very political act. And it's still warm and loving, but it's still such a strong, strong way to end the piece. And I just was wondering if you could talk a bit about that.
1: Oh, thanks. Thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, one of the things that i realized in wanting to write this play was that um that was not something i had seen on stage at a lot of theaters like yeah. not only summer theaters and rural theaters but also like you know a, 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 just a lot of theaters i was mm-hmm. like wow i don't know that i've like seen uh two guys kiss and be in love and like for that to be part of a show um yeah. In a really interesting way. And, you know, and some of the urban theaters that we have we took this show to would say, and often they would be quite embarrassed, but the artistic director would say like, you know, the last time we did kind of like a queer show or like a show with gay content was Angels in America in 1994 or something, you know? Or they would say, we did this show in 2001 and it didn't really go that well. Or, you know, it was like, Wow, it's been a minute since you've had queer characters not only in a play but at the center of the play, yeah. And for that to be the the, the content of the show, and yeah, the kiss is like um, that. I do make people wait for it, mm-hmm. um, which is on which is on purpose. It's by design, yeah. and yeah, again, like there have been nights where nights in the theater where <laughs> uh, uh, Paul has a story from. Um, I guess I wasn't it must have been in Ganonakwe, but that that they, they kissed and he audibly heard a person in the audience go, Ugh. Really? Yeah. And and that to me proves like, oh, well, that's why that's why we're doing this play. Yeah. Um but uh similarly there have been or not similarly, but conversely, there have been um nights where that kiss it feels like an audience is like waiting for that and waiting yeah. for that and waiting for that to happen. And when it finally does it's like a great, wonderful release for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I I think a lot about final, final moments of yeah. plays, right? Getting that right, and um, and for me, it goes back to that idea of um, of the the structure of comedy that it begins with them in bed getting bad oh. news, and it ends with them in bed, just mm-hmm. the two of them. Yeah. Maybe even getting it on.
2: <laughs> well, wait till you hear the sound design. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and, and the, we seem to be in this kind of strange place where with pride you see companies are falling over themselves for sponsorships and trying to prove how inclusive they are. And then the fact that a play ends with two men kissing is such a political statement. It's, it's this sort of strange dichotomy that we're in.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, like it's, um, I think, I think it's worth saying like, this is too, you know, relatively young or like in Mm -hmm. their thirties, uh, or forties, like, white middle-class gay men right it's not even like we're not even sort of going the play does sort of like uh especially cody's um speech uh in act two to sort of like uh suggest that there is a lot more to this conversation yeah of course i i mean i guess i just say this to acknowledge that like in one way, the play pushes the conversation forward and is like edgy for certain people, and for other people, it's not at all. And it's sort of like it's desperately old-fashioned. And I and I um, I also see that point of view, yeah. and um, that it's about these like nice monogamous um, men, right? Yeah. Um, cisgendered uh, gay men. You
2: know, just to close, one thing that I kept thinking about as the two of you were performing. I I can't load the dishwasher with my spouse without her threatening divorce. And yet there the two of you acting together, touring together. And and it's such an intimate thing to perform on stage with somebody. How did that work with doing it with your your partner?
1: Um it was it was great and also at times challenging for sure like to say that it was just you know i i remember running into somebody and they were saying how is it and i was like it's awesome it's so great we get to go to all these places together we get to work together we get to do this play together um you know paul is so good in it it is a joy to be on stage with him all of that and also being in any two-hander is a very intimate and sometimes yeah. like fraught relationship and then for it to be with the person you live with yeah there are days that you're just like uh, that it's it's harder than others <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and also um <laughs> you know it's it, it, it's funny that you bring up the dishwasher because the dishwasher in our house is also a uh, a, a a a a source of tension oh it can so get ugly like, yeah it can get it can get ugly, man. You know, I think it's also it's something that um we get to see a lot of straight couples perform together a lot as a couple on stage. Like yeah. you know, we, we talked about that a lot when the play was being done at Soul Pepper, that there were over the years, you know, so many productions with um straight couples in them. And that was yeah. part of the sort of marketing of that, to yeah. see Nancy Polk and Joe Ziegler in this, you know, play Willie and Linda Loman, you know, like yeah. that kind of to play like the great um, couples. Uh, and so to see, I, I, in the case of Soul Pepper, it was Gregory Preston, Paolo Santa Lucia. And, um, you know, they're a real couple in real life too. And so, yeah, to actually get to see that on stage for an audience, to have that sort of double layer is, is really exciting. And... It has been. It has been a total joy to do it with, um, with Paul and, and a great, you know, a, a great honor to be able to do it with him, um, do the play with him. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to thank you. Laura and I really enjoyed working on the show. We, we wanted to do it for a couple of years and it, it, I'm so glad that we finally had a chance to. You um, are such an accomplished... Highly produced uh, playwright, and I hope your sibling Jason Priestley is very proud of you.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah. Thanks. I'm going to text him right now and see how <laughs> he's do. doing. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Thanks for for doing this play and uh, including it in part of the lineup. I really, I'm I'm so chuffed to have it um, recorded and to have it out there for uh, a even wider audience. I I'm I can't wait for people to hear it.
2: That's great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. That was my interview with Mark Crawford, playwright of Bed and Breakfast. To listen to all three episodes of his hit play, follow us on Apple or Google Podcasts or the CBC Listen app or by going to cbc.ca forward slash playme. And while you're there, please consider rating and reviewing us. You can let us know what you think of our podcast by emailing us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at playmepodcast or Twitter at XPEC Theatre.
0: That is a wrap for us for this season. We'll be back soon with a whole new series of plays turned podcasts. We want to thank all of the playwrights, actors, agents, our CBC producers, and of course, our listeners for helping us make this season of Play Me. We hope you'll binge on all of the plays from this year, including Winners and Losers, Other Side of the Game, Between the Sheets, and This Is How We Got Here. We have over 100 episodes to add to your summer playlist. Thanks for listening. See you soon.
2: Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer.
0: The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Noorani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger.
2: Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expec Theatre production in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcasts.com.